Welcome to the Make Money Behave podcast, where we talk about your money, your circumstances, and the small changes in your behavior that will have a big impact on both. My name is Maria Casillas, and I am honored to be your host. Welcome back to the Make Money Behave podcast, everyone. I'm Maria Casillas, your humble host, and today is Monday, the 26th of March. It is a gorgeous sunny day today here in Arizona, and I just, I don't know, I'm feeling kind of kind of good. I love this. How are, how are you feeling today? Is Monday a stressful day for you or are you feeling really good? I want to talk today about stress and I'll get to that in a minute. But before I do that, let me just as always say thank you to those of you who have jumped onto iTunes and given me a five-star review and or rating. Those are really, really helping and I just want to say I appreciate it. If you have not yet done that, but you've been saying for the last two and a half weeks, I think I need to go on there and do that, please make today the day that you do that for us, okay? Okay, so let's just jump right into today's topic. We're going to talk about stress and the effect that stress has on your money-making decisions as well as your circumstances. Now, I'm sure if you are listening to this podcast and you are older than, I don't know, say seven, you've probably heard the the old adage, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? And I, when I talk to people about this whole stress and money problem thing, I talk about it the same way. Which one came first, the stress or the money problems? And a lot of people will say, oh my gosh, you know, my money problems stress me out. And so certainly it's the money problems that came first. And I'd like to argue that, you know what? I've actually made some really, really crappy money decisions when under a lot of stress. And so I wonder sometimes, like maybe that stress actually happened first before the money problems. Either way, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, If you're stressed out and you've got money problems, I guess it doesn't really matter which one happened first. You just want some relief. So I I get that. And today I want to give you a few tips on how to actually reduce the chances of making some really, really crappy decisions while under extreme emotional stress. But first, I want to tell you a few of the decisions that we made or that I made under extreme emotional stress so that you can kind of start thinking about what in the world I'm talking about. You may think that I'm nuts and that you've never made a, a some sort of crazy uh, financial decision under stress. But once you hear some of these examples, you might go, oh, yeah, yep, that I did that too. So I want to tell you a few, right? Um, the first one is consolidating my student loans. Now, some people are like, wait a minute, Maria, are you telling me that I should never consolidate my student loans? And one of the things I always tell you is that every situation is different. So I'm not going to tell you through this microphone what you are supposed to do. You can come to me and we'll talk about your individualized situation, but I'm not going to give just, you know, blanket advice over this uh, podcast because it could be dangerous for you just to listen to what I say when I don't know your actual situation. But I can tell you that for my situation, consolidate. Validating my student loans ended up being a really, really dumb idea. Now, here's what happened, okay? I went to undergrad and then I went to straight to grad school. So when you do that, at least, you know, 10, 20 years ago when I was graduating, um, they basically just put it on hold, right? I think it was called deferment. Um, yeah, that, that sounds right. So basically after undergrad, I went straight to grad school and I didn't have to start paying my loans back from undergrad because I was continuing to go to school. Well, the other kicker is that when I was in grad school, I was living on my own and I had a job and stuff, but you know, the the loan people, they're tricky and if you aren't smart and I wasn't, they will give you 
more money than what you actually need. So I didn't need it just for tuition and just for living expenses. They gave me above and beyond that. And I wasn't really very wise at the time. And so I accepted extra money. Some of it I didn't accept. I actually did. I did uh, turn some of it down, but I did accept more than I needed. And my now husband actually proposed to me while we were in grad school. And so we knew that there was an upcoming wedding. And so I would take some of that extra money and I would put some of that aside for a wedding. So yes, part of our wedding was paid for with student loans. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I've, I've told you from the beginning, guys, I am not perfect. I have made some really stupid choices and uh, that's one of them. But anyway, so what happened, I, I share all of that craziness to let you know that once I graduated from grad school, we got married like pretty quickly. So I graduated and I wanted, I moved back in with my parents for a couple months. And then after I got married, we moved into a duplex. Um, we just started renting like a little half of a duplex. And then like within a few months, honestly, like we didn't even stay at that duplex very long. Within a few months, we found a home that we wanted to buy. So we moved out of there and purchased this home. Now, I'm not sure if you kept track while I was talking about that, but that's three different addresses that we had from the time that I graduated grad school to the time that I actually started needing to pay back my student loans. Well, I'm going to be honest, I know it's my responsibility to know that six months post-graduation, I'm supposed to be there to start making my payments. But with a wedding and the move and all of that stuff, I mean, really out of sight, out of mind, I truly forgot about needing to pay those back. Now, had I received any sort of documentation in the mail that reminded me I needed to pay them, I absolutely would have paid them, but that never came because they never caught up with our three different addresses. So about six months after I was supposed to start paying those back, I finally got a call from the student loan organizations and they said, you have gone into default. What? <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I've never made a late payment in my life, and now you're telling me that my student loans are in default? Like, that was instant panic mode, and I just, I mean, I felt like a complete failure because there's one thing, this one thing I'm supposed to do is pay back these loans, and I didn't do it. Well, of course, they weren't going to let me off the phone, right? But I, <laughs> before I actually made arrangements and they totally saw and heard my vulnerability through that phone and they decided to capitalize on that. They gave me this fantastic way out. I would no longer be in default if I would just consolidate all of my student loans into one single payment. Not only would that make it easier for me, but it would clear away all of this mess and I would not be a failure anymore. Okay, guys, they didn't use that language, but that's what I was hearing, right? So I went ahead and I agreed to it. I did not research it. I, I just made a quick emotional decision and I knew that I was going to have to pay $218 every month for a given amount of time. Well, did you know that a given amount of time was 30 years? 
30 years. And I honestly don't remember if the number was $218 or 281 but I do remember that those three numbers were part of that equation. So it was over $200 for sure. And it was every month for the next 30 years of my life. And I didn't realize at the time that that was such a mistake because I took all of those student loans that would have been probably at a lower interest rate and consolidated them all into one with a set what I don't know seemingly reasonable interest rate but it was spread out over 30 years so the amount of extra interest I would have paid on that was absolutely phenomenal I'm happy to say now that those have since been paid off and it didn't take us 30 years, but that's only because we made the decision to really tackle our debt and just get rid of as much as we could. But that remains a very prime example of me making a decision in an emotionally charged moment that I had not had time to research, dot, 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 dot. The other examples I'm going to give you, just in the interest of time, I'm not going to give you as much detail, but one of them was purchasing a home that we just, in our gut, knew that we couldn't afford and probably shouldn't have, but I was pregnant, like very, very far along pregnant with our second child, and we really needed a place to live, and instead of just being reasonable and finding somewhere else that would have been more affordable, we just, you know, we let our emotions take over us, and we, we did that. Uh, another time was when... And my husband and I were fighting with each other, so we weren't talking. <laughs> and we had signed up for one of those dumb timeshare presentation things. And we actually bought the dumb timeshare because that was like a distraction for us. We were able to, you know, it made us talk to each other in that moment. And uh, yeah, it just, that was just crazy. And then another time was when my husband bought a brand new truck. And then because of some emotional stuff that happened in our lives, we had to trade that in and get another car. And you know, really, when is the worst time to buy a car or a house or really anything? It's when you need it, right? You, you just like you are in a sense of desperation. And when you're in a sense of desperation, you just don't really have the capacity to be logical. So those are some other examples of, of times that we actually made really big purchase decisions or financial decisions under a, an extreme amount of stress. I want to jump into a few ways that you can actually avoid making poor decisions while under stress. I'm briefly going to cover five different ways for you, and then maybe we can break them down a little bit more uh, together when, when you email me. If there's something that you need help specifically with, feel free to email me, maria at cashinonchange.com, and we can apply some of these tips to your personal situation. Number one is to remove the emotion from your scenario. So that is oftentimes way easier said than done, but it is so, so important. If you are acting in pure emotion, you're not going to be able to think logically about something. So have somebody help you walk through your situation logically. And that brings me to number two, have a solid plan in place and seek out an accountability partner or a coach to help you stick to your plan. As you know, I teach people to be more proactive with their money rather than reactive. And this is part of the reason why this is so important, because if you are proactive, you are planning before the situation actually occurs. You are, by default, removing some of that desperation from your situation, and that's going to allow you to make more logical decisions. But if you don't have some sort of plan in place, then you're just letting life happen to you and you're being very reactive. And then your car is going to break down and you're going to think you need to absolutely go out and buy a brand new car. You're going to have no money in the bank. You're not going to have any plan and you're just going to 
go in and make this illogical decision because you are feeling stressed out. So having this plan in place and allowing an accountability partner to keep you on track is actually really important. Number three is to practice good and effective communication. If you are married and you're not communicating well with your spouse, you are more likely to make poor financial decisions, just like we did with that whole timeshare thing. <laughs> I mean, it. we all crave the ability to connect with somebody. And if buying something is our way of, quote, connecting with that person, you'd be amazed at some of the silly decisions that we make just because we're not actually communicating with the person that we're buying with. If you're not married, I want you to treat that accountability partner that we talked about in step two, not as your spouse, obviously, but as the person that you need to practice very effective communication with. The fourth thing is you need to get organized. There is no better way to be proactive with your money than to be organized. I don't care if it's paper and pencil or an Excel document or some really cool app that you have found, whatever it is that keeps you organized, that will help you keep your plan in place. If you have a plan in number step two, right, you have that solid plan in place and you don't have any sense of organization, you're never going to know where you are on that plan. And that's going to be the feedback that you're going to need in order to know whether to pivot, you know, to the left or to the right, or if you're right on track. So find some sort of system to get organized and then stay organized. And finally, number five is to work on changing just one thing at a time. I know you've heard that from me before, and I mean that with such conviction. If you try to change absolutely everything at once, it's going to what? It's going to absolutely stress you out more, and that's exactly what we're trying to avoid right now. We're trying to set you up so that you can make logical choices when you're not under all of this stress and emotional upheaval and all of that. So if you decide you want to change everything, you're going to be stressed out because it's not going to happen. So let's just pull back and just work on one small thing at a time, okay? I know I talked a little fast today. I'm going to run through those real quick again so you can kind of hear it all at once. And then I've got to run. So those five ways to help keep yourself from making poor financial decisions under stress are remove the emotion from this scenario and ask someone to help you walk through your situation logically. Number two, have a solid plan in place and seek out an accountability partner or coach to help you stick to that plan. Number three, practice good, effective communication, especially with your spouse and or your accountability partner. Number four, get organized. And number five, work on changing just one thing at a time. That's going to do it for me today, you guys. I look forward to chatting with you tomorrow. And tomorrow we're going to talk about not clinging to a mistake just because you spent so much time making it. I hope you'll tune in. And until then, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.